0: Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. We're really delighted to be joined today by Mike DeJong, and we're gonna uh, Chris Sands is gonna introduce uh, Mike, in a second. And I just want to say it is a privilege on Canusa Street to have people that are involved in these vexing issues uh, from both sides of the border the policymakers and the stakeholders. So uh, the discussion was centered a lot, certainly interesting. And now we get to hear um, a Canadian perspective. So, Chris, uh, maybe you could talk about our guest.
1: Sure, I'd be glad to, Scotty. Today's guest is a real superstar, a member of the British Columbia Legislative Assembly, uh, a liberal and critic currently for the Attorney General for the Justice Ministry. He represents Abbotsford, which of course is Ed Fast's hometown, former trade minister and right on the Canada-US border. BC is the largest, I think, single producer of softwood in all of Canada. Although it's produced in other provinces as well, and he's followed this issue, I think, through a fairly uh, a fairly long period. I'm guessing, Mr. Zhang, you're, you're you're not quite old enough to go back to the 1982 uh, dispute, but uh, or at least not professionally. You're probably alive, but not not professionally. And that's one of the things that makes this, Scotty, such an interesting issue. To put it, uh, you know, kind of concisely, the moment we're in, the dispute we have between Canada and the U.S. over softwood lumber could count as softwood lumber five. And here in Washington, D.C., we tend to think of these iterations of the dispute going back to 1982 as one, two, three, four, and, and, and now five. The first dispute in 1982 was really over the same kinds of issues, the stumpage system and, and how lumber was allotted. Uh, at that time, we had a dispute that was resolved before it became countervailing duty tariffs. The second dispute, uh, which emerged in 1986, was resolved mainly to clear the way for Canada U.S. free trade. And so it was left out of our trade agreements. Lumber three um, kicks in 1991, and we we're trying to clear the air to get ready to negotiate NAFTA. Um, that gets resolved. 1996 is lumber Uh, oh it gets resolved in 1996 with a voluntary export restraint agreement. Lumber 4 came in because that agreement expired and we were fighting over a system that resulted in a deal the, old, the last softwood number deal uh, of 2006, in which Canada taxed the export of its lumber to raise the price, but got to keep the money, which was a great innovation. But in 2015, that agreement expired and we have been edging towards conflict ever since, and of course now back in trade dispute. So this is Lumber Five. I, I feel like this is a, a movie franchise that uh, is worthy of Arnold Schwarzenegger or, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Ryan Reynolds to pick a, a bc
0: Well, and Chris, you know, I actually think it might go back to George Washington, but Mike, maybe you could just, uh, why is this so vexing? Like just stepping back at a high level, you know, our countries negotiate a lot of different commercial issues as between us. Why is lumber different? Why does it stand alone? The cheese stands alone um, in a a certain way? Why isn't it part of the normal course in the trade deals? What makes it different from your point of view in British Columbia?
2: Well, Scotty and and Chris, that the interests are remarkably entrenched, and, and Chris, thank you for that equally, remarkably depressing recitation of the history. Um, I, I should point out that when I was last involved in the, uh, the negotiations of Softwood Lumber 4, I came upon uh, material around the 92 uh, dispute, but uh, it wasn't 1992, it was 1892. Uh, So, uh, to to give us all a a sense of just how long uh, this has uh, been around, there is a fundamentally different view, uh, you could say, of uh, forest management policy. But look, let's also be uh, uh, straight up about what's at stake here. This is a dispute ultimately driven by uh, timberland owners, mostly in in the southern U.S., who are concerned about the value of their assets. And uh, I think a lot of people on both sides of the border, to the extent that they pay attention, mistakenly believe that this is a dispute between mills and and mill owners. Um, That's not the case. Uh, This is, uh, at the end of the day, uh, a dispute uh, driven by. Uh, companies, uh, people with vast uh, timber holdings in, in the U.S. who uh, want to maximize the value of
1: those holdings. To follow up on that a little bit, I think that that goes to one of the differences um, between the two systems, doesn't it? In that a lot of the land that the timber land in the United States is in private hands, but in Canadian provinces, it's in provincial crown hands. That is to say the the government uh, of British Columbia manages the timberland resource and that kind of difference contributes a little bit to why we're fighting.
2: Oh, I think more than just a little bit. Uh, I think at the end of the day, the argument uh, you hear in uh, um, in each round of this dispute uh, from the, uh, the the U.S. side, from the uh, the coalition that uh, uh, that creates itself to advance the the dispute, is a suspicion that uh, there are uh, subsidies uh, and. <laughs> notwithstanding the regularity with which the uh, the WTO uh, rules against those findings the dispute is ultimately driven by a desire to secure uh, negotiating leverage and in many ways and that's why I was really pleased to get the invitation and, and thank the, uh, uh, the the Wilson uh, Institute but it it really is a a uh, reflection of the state of the relationship uh, between the two countries because when that relationship becomes a priority at the at the highest levels this dispute settles um, when it is not it languishes
0: well and you know Mike this this you're reminding me when we when Chris and I started talking about this episode talking about softwood lumber and unpacking it, Um, for our listeners, I reached out to Christy Clark, the former premier of British Columbia, a good friend of all of ours. And she said, you know, you got to talk to Mike. He knows this chapter and verse. Can you tell us, just tell us some stories about your involvement? Uh, what, what role uh, over the course of your career have you played in the dispute? We've heard, we heard from Senator Lott, um, his wonderful stories about, uh, you know, back and forth with Pierre Elliott Trudeau in a conference room in the, in the United States Senate. You know, he himself owns timber in Mississippi. So tell us a little bit from your from your point of view, what has your involvement been?
2: Well, in, uh, when the party I uh, represent uh, and, and have for almost 30 years it became government uh, in 2001, I became the minister of forests. And as Chris has pointed out, uh, still the biggest industry in, in British Columbia. Uh, BC accounts for over 50 percent of the uh, Canadian uh, lumber softwood lumber exports to the US and we were at the the leading edge of you know softwood lumber four the uh, that the latest uh, latest dispute and so um, my assignment was to engage uh, with the the Americans but also with the Canadian government because of course trade is a, a federal matter and so uh, as a as a state level government provincial government uh, you're your objective is to engage both the Canadian federal government, get them to make this a priority for their engagement with the American government and along the way, try to educate, uh, lobby uh, American interests to better understand what's uh, taking place. I'll tell you what my overall impression, uh, my first uh, major impression, uh, the first time in those days, it was a regular trip, uh, regular circuit into Ottawa and, and D.C., my God, there's a lot of people making a lot of money off of this dispute. Um, there are uh, law firms and, you know, I'm a lawyer, but I got to tell you, I think we're on the third or fourth generation of uh, students who have had their way through college uh, paid on the backs of uh, of this dispute. The amount of money, the number of lawyers, it's become a bit of an industry. And I think that's that's troubling. I think there are law firms who in their revenue projections, uh, long-term revenue projections, uh, say, oh, hey, when's the next softwood lumber dispute? We better book a couple million bucks uh, in revenue for that uh, four or five-year period.
0: Yeah, you know, I used to say anything that's full employment for lawyers is probably not great public policy. And uh, uh, I I think there's something to what you say. You know, interestingly, so I worked for the 19th U.S. Ambassador to Canada, Gordon Giffen, and... During um, our time in Ottawa, what he to your point, Mike, what he used to say is, you know, the US can sit back and not do anything as long as Canada doesn't have a unified front on this issue. Right. And so so, you know, B.C., has different interests from interior and exterior, let alone different interests from Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes, who tend to be aligned with the state of Maine. So can you talk a little bit about the Canadian dynamics now? Um, do, do you think we're going to, you know, uh, get to a situation where this is prioritized for Canada and uh, and maybe solved?
2: Scotty, it's a very astute observation because, um, one, you're correct about the uh, diversity of of interest, the diversity of, of approaches, and in any kind of a dispute uh, negotiation, your um, your partners on the other side of the table, your, your, you want to call them your adversaries, uh, are going to take advantage of that. And, and we have seen that repeatedly, and I think we will see it again, because uh, where I believe if this dispute ever uh, percolates to the point where there are meaningful uh, negotiations, and I don't know that that is occurring at the moment. But if it does, I think you will see uh, revealed a very clever strategy on the the US side, and that is to return to a quota-based system that caps the amount of uh, an attempt to cap, uh, an overall cap on the amount of uh, Canadian softwood lumber that uh, can enter the US. And that will create, on the Canadian side, a great division and enhance those divisions because what you end up with is a quota system and that quota has to be allocated and uh, it's it's something that in uh, the early 2000s we uh, we resisted successfully and aggressively because it's uh, it, philosophically it, it strikes me as unfair but it presents all kinds of strategic and log- logistical challenges on the Canadian side
1: in that context, I wanted to ask a little bit, you know, in, in Lumber 4, one of the outcomes was that New Brunswick shifted their system to be a bit more compatible with what the U.S. had been asking for. And now we're not seeing them reap a reward from that. They've been lumped in with everybody else here. Do you think the U.S. has made... I guess I would say, I won't put words in your mouth, that, that this was something of a mistake on the U.S. side? Because if you don't reward the people who try to help you, uh, you're, you're going to send them back into unity with the, with the provinces that haven't changed. Or do you see it differently?
2: I think, Chris, the mistake um, I have made in the past, and I think many uh, Canadians involved in this make, is to try and analyze this from a intellectually uh uh, rigid and and, and honest uh, approach and and at the, at the end of the day I don't think that's what drives this dispute i I think you you hear these things from uh, the American uh, negotiators and and by that I don't just mean the USTR or the commerce department I mean the 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 the, the, the timberland owners and the the, the license you know the uh, the producers down there but at the end of the day it's all quite frankly a bit of window dressing what what they really are looking for is a restriction to the extent that they can convince the U.S. government to sanction a restriction on competing products. That's what they're after.
1: Uh, If I can, I've well said, and if I could maybe take this in a different direction, B.C. also, uh, for many years was a big exporter of softwood to China and given the drama over Meng Wanzhou and Huawei Chinese-Canada trade relations have been bumpy lately. Do you think in some ways China as an alternative is, is less of an option? Is How does that play in given that the US is at least behind some of the tension between uh, China and Canada? there's no question
2: the the nature of the bilateral relationship between canada and, and china has has changed and and you're again very astutely uh, have focused on a deliberate strategy we initiated in the early 2000s in the midst of the dispute we said look we're we're woefully dependent on a single customer and that puts us at a distinct negotiating disadvantage let's alter that dynamic and we went to work and we uh, we opened up Uh, market. So, um, But don't put all your eggs in one basket, but don't take all the eggs out of one basket and put them in in another. There are other options for diversifying your trade portfolio. And Canada and and British Columbia, for that matter, the forest sector, have been, uh, I think, uh, slow in recognizing that. And by the way, particularly today, when lumber prices are at all time high, producers are, quite frankly, Uh, wanting to take advantage so their incentive to explore new markets and you know China for all the reasons and others that you've mentioned uh, behaving in a way that complicates that bilateral relationship but the largest democracy is out there Uh, it's called India Uh, there are other Asian and South Asian uh, emerging uh, markets Canada and Canadians uh, tend to be slower off the mark I regret to say about uh, exploring and developing those markets and and that adds to our uh, dilemma when it comes to uh, dealing with the American lumber lobby
1: but the point being that uh, the US has had the the catbird seat as your number one customer but that's not something we could uh, necessarily count on in the long term
2: nor something that we should aspire to uh, perpetuate if protectionism is going to become a regular feature uh, of the trade relationship, uh, you know, lumber prices are high because uh, there's a demand for the product. Uh, we shouldn't diminish the importance of the Canadian product. It is, from a, a building perspective, recognized as, uh, you know, as, I don't want to sound arrogant, but is generally recognized as a superior product to the uh, the lumber that is produced, particularly in the southern uh, states and in the the U.S. So there is a demand for that uh, product and that will continue and it's a healthy demand. But any good business will, will tell you uh, in a situation like the one we're confronted by, we're better off to develop some, some trade options and uh, our, our product would be equally welcome and uh, viewed favorably in other parts of the world. It's up to us as uh, Canadians and British Columbians and producers here uh, to seek out and develop those markets.
0: You know, I, I have to say, as a as a Southerner in the United States, I'm I'm not sure if my brethren would agree with the characterization of the quality, but I'll I'll leave that to others. Um, I would also say, though, that I understand the desire to diversify markets, but you know, my narrow focus with the Canadian American Business Council is I would much rather us come to an agreement and figure out how to help each other recover our economies. Um, and I agree, Mike, we don't protectionist tendencies. They've been around forever. Um, they're not just uniquely American, by the way. Um, but but uh, we we will we'll do a whole other podcast on dairy and we can talk about protectionism there. But so, so I mean, nobody has the complete uh, high ground when it comes to trade policy. But my I would like us to find a way to work forward together to get to some sort of managed trade if that's What it'll take. Um, So diversify as much as you need to, but let's not write off the US market entirely. So I I just would love your thoughts just on a kind of a Canada US path forward here in the next year or two.
2: Well, the the relationship uh, at the end of the day is the single most important trade relationship in in the world. And uh, we can talk about uh, strategies to uh, enhance negotiating uh, positions, but uh, there's no no question the, the US market. And the trade between the U.S. And, and Canada is going to remain fundamentally important. And I know, you know, you don't build trade agreements around uh, emotionalism, but my goodness, we are uh, the closest allies uh, in the world. And look, today, as the Commerce Department talks about doubling uh, doubling the tariff, the co- I mean, the cost to U.S. consumers today, where lumber prices are are over $1,000 uh, a board for their record level highs, uh, this is going to make you know, housing affordability, uh, which is a question on both sides, an issue on both sides of the border, uh, even more uh, difficult for, for Americans and ultimately for Canadians. So there's lots of reasons for us to uh, sit down and hammer out an agreement, but I, I'll say this, the prerequisite started to that happening is it has to become a priority at the highest levels uh, within uh, the two national governments. And I know that maybe sounds bizarre, but um, I think Chris will will validate this agreement settles when the prime minister and the president say to their respective industries, this is going to settle. And it's going to settle because the relationship between the US and Canada is too important for it not to settle.
1: Can I ask you a question about the corporate side? I I know there was some hope uh background time of lumber four that Weyerhaeuser buying Macmillan bladell was going to create a new dynamic in which you had players who were making who were operating on both sides of the border creating jobs in both and maybe a bit more like the auto industry that cross ownership would create a, a private sector desire to have um, peace on this issue uh, perhaps threatened by some of the smaller fry but uh, but that we could we could do that as a way of, of kind of creating a better dynamic, why hasn't that unfolded the way that some people hoped it would? And I, I'll admit, I was one of the people who was hoping this would be a step forward. Um, why hasn't it quite worked? I fear the
2: opposite has happened, uh, Chris. In, in the case, specific case, uh, and I, I can say this with a measure of uh, authority, uh, the dynamic uh, around Warehouser that we might have thought would uh, take place didn't. In fact, Weyerhaeuser... Uh, uh, Essentially, sat out that round and said, for the very reasons uh, you've indicated, they wouldn't be involved on either side. Uh, so whatever influence they could have brought to bear uh, as a moderating force uh, didn't uh, didn't occur. Today, I I fear that what has happened uh, at the at the corporate level, uh, as you know, many of the Canadian producers have secured manufacturing interests in the uh, in the U.S. and I think. The, therefore, the the impetus uh, to settle on their part isn't what it once was. They just shift production. If the if the tariffs go up at the border, and it becomes difficult, for more difficult for them to move product uh, out of Canada into the U.S., now they ramp up production in the U.S.
0: You know, I this is such an interesting discussion and I think I think we're coming to a close. I think Chris we we probably need to have a whole a whole other episode on something we haven't talked about but it just is, I'm reminded um with the forestry sector which is the role that forestry is playing in the in the carbon transition and and related, you know, Mike mentioned um the price of lumber and um affordable housing. So I think there are some environmental issues and some kind of social justice issues that we haven't had time to cover today, but they're they're relevant and you wouldn't want a trade dispute to get in front of some of these larger societal concerns that uh, that our governments and our societies are trying to face.
1: And there's no doubt, Scotty, this is um, unlike when we were talking about oil or some of the other things that have become uh, part of our Canada U.S. discourse it's inarguable that forestry, this is a renewable resource. And it's one that good forest management in both countries um, has, has made very renewable and eco-friendly. So tr- that, that just uh, compared to so many of other, the other building products that we have out there, uh, this is this is really a distinction for this sector and, and one we'd like to encourage.
0: That's exactly right. So with that, Mike, we're gonna give you the last word on, on anything you'd like to say on the topic.
2: Well, just this, I am um, immensely impressed uh, that, that you have chosen to profile a, a trade dispute that if you compare, uh, or a trade issue, let's be a little more positive, uh, a trade issue, uh, it doesn't need to be a, a dispute. Uh, the largest single trade issue involving the two largest trading partners in the world, and yet it more or less languishes in obscurity. And, and it does eat away at the overall relationship, whether in the, the U.S., in the Southern uh, U.S., where there are concerns about uh, competition in small towns in British Columbia and Quebec uh, that shut down if they lose markets and access uh, to markets. So it's uh, an issue that, that links us as, uh, as allies and, and friends. And the fact that you have chosen where most others uh, simply ignore it to shine a bit of a spotlight on it, uh, I think is both uh, uh, impressive and and a necessary prerequisite to finding the settlement.
0: Thank you so much, Mike DeJong. You know, it was really interesting talking to you. We, we appreciate the British Columbia former forestry minister's perspective. You know, we had Senator Trent Lott earlier. We love talking to you today, and we look forward to our next episode in what has become a softwood lumber series on Canusa Street. We're going to talk to Jerry Howard, who is a home builder himself, and he is the uh, president and CEO of the National Home Builders Association uh, here in the United States. He's got Canadian members, he's got U.S. members, and he's got an interesting perspective, too. So anyway, with that, Mike, on behalf of Chris and me, thanks for joining us on Canusa Street, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.